thank you for downloading this in-ear entertainment podcast. You're listening to Shakespeare's Sonnets. Sonnet 21. So is it not with me as with that muse, stirred by a painted beauty to his verse, who heaven itself for ornament doth use, and every fair with his fair doth rehearse, making a copulament of proud compare with sun and moon, with earth and sea's rich gems, with April's firstborn flowers and all things rare, that heaven's air in this huge rondure hems. Oh, let me, true in love, but truly right, and then believe me, my love is as fair as any mother's child, though not so bright as those gold candles fixed in heaven's air. Let them say more like that like of hearsay well, I will not praise that purpose not to sell. That was Sonnet 21 from Shakespeare's Sonnets. I'm Mark Chasley and I'm joined by, although can't see today, or no, I can see, but he can't see me, uh, Thierry Hellis. Oh, you should you should introduce yourself. Sorry, That's, you can do it's that. It's too late now. You've done it. <laughs> oh, I'm ruining the patter. This isn't good. Um, we, we, need, we need to keep uh, people, uh, listeners on their feet, just change it up every we, once in a while. Yeah, wake them up if they're listening to them in a, in a run. Um, so Sonnet 21, we're still firmly... Well, we're still really at the beginning of the fair youth sonnets, aren't we? We 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 are indeed, yes. It it, it feels like this the whole sex selection of sonnets is just the fair youth, but it, it does change eventually. Once we get into the hundreds, it changes, which is which is still a far way off. Yeah, it's still a far way off. But these are these are quite interesting. Um, this one to me, it, it seems to mirror uh, one of the the earlier sonnets that I quite liked. I can't remember the numbers because I'm useless like that. But it was the one before where Shakespeare was basically saying, uh, where he was addressing himself as as the writer and basically saying, "I'm not going to lie. Um, I, I have to. I'm only going to say what's true because I don't want people to think I'm I'm a poet and I'm embellishing." And this kind of has the same theme to it, I think. It, it does. It, I can't remember the the, uh, the number either, but that that is a recurring theme as well. That something that will pop up again and again, where he's uh, re- referring to the poet himself or to to actually Shakespeare himself. And and and, and it seems to be in this. I mean, I'm guessing painted beauty refers to, uh, which is in the second line, refers to uh, makeup and that kind of stuff. I I, I read as that yes. Well, he, he he does go on and, and paint. Quite a, quite a few nice images in this one, which p- perhaps today we would consider cliche, but I guess at Shakespeare's time, using the sun and moon with uh, earth and sea, sea's rich gems, which today is probably something that would get a lot of red ink if you wrote it in school. But... <laughs> yeah, too too cliched, too too traditionally poetic, I guess. But but then Shakespeare is traditionally poetic, so uh, I guess that works. I, I quite like on those lines. It is it, with sun and moon, with earth and seas rich gems, with April's firstborn flowers, and then Shakespeare kind of goes, "Oh bugger, I can't be bothered to think mm-hmm. of anything else." And all things rare. <laughs> I just quite like that. It's one of the few instances where it looks to me like he's sacrificed uh, poetic license just to get the rhyme in with compare. He might have done. Well, but then we we had the discussion before, and we went. He chose every word very carefully. Yeah. So uh, maybe he's having an off day. <laughs> maybe. Oh, he's he's maybe he's trying not to take it too seriously. 
Oh, that, that, yeah, that, that's the problem. We're going to read in because it's Shakespeare. He probably did, did mean everything. I mean, he, everything. He, there's there's things in there like, my, my love is as fair as any mother's child, thought not so bright as those gold candles fixed in heaven's air. It's, it's, it's almost too much to, to think that he took it seriously. Yeah, but yeah, it's a bit over the top, I guess. Yeah. It's the first time I've heard stars referred to as gold candles fixed in heaven's air. That's a lovely image. It actually so, is. And it's quite Christmassy. We're recording this. Um, this is going to go out uh, well into the new year. Probably the first week or second week of the new year. But we're recording this about four days before Christmas. So I think that's quite a nice Christmassy, yeah, yeah. Christmassy image. That little, little cheruby angels holding candles and that's what the stars are. I quite like that. I mean, they, they they probably had those sorts of images of heaven at the time. I guess yeah. some people might do that today, but... <laughs> that God lives up on the cloud with his big beard and lots of fat little naked children running around with harps. Oh, that's that's quite a disturbing image, that is. That's what all the paintings show. <laughs> that, that is, yeah, yeah. It's a bit weird, but... There's an awful word in here that I didn't know. Maybe that's just my my um, my ignorance. Uh, ronja, ronja. I thought was quite an interesting word. In uh, maybe seven or eight some, line. Some, some, something round, but I don't quite. Did you look it up? I did before, and and again, it's completely slipped my mind. In uh, that that heavens air in this huge ronja oh, hems. Uh... I'll look it up. It, it just—it sounds like something round. Let's have a look. Uh, ronja, Ron- a circular and gracefully rounded object. That's quite nice. And and you can listen to. It. I don't know if this will be picked up by the podcast, but there's a very weird American pronunciation of this. There is. Ronja, ronja, ronja. Which, <clears throat> sorry, which might be closer to what Shakespeare might have pronounced it at the time. Yes, yes, and we I think we we touched on that before, didn't we? That the I think American we did, yes. Might be, or I, I vaguely remember reading about it that the kind of old English accent is probably very similar to the American accent, which is it's weird. But that kind of assumes that the American accent has never moved on. Well, it it, it probably has. I mean, I, that's, that language works that way, but it might have worked, moved on less so than here. Yeah, I don't know why. Maybe that would not be, ex- exposed less to other languages. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, they, they, obviously they had they had the American Indians, but they didn't really understand the language. They didn't really care about the language either. They just slaughtered them. But uh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> they were not oh. really. I mean, around here we had we, we still had the French and the Germans and c- quite a lot of other dialects and languages that were trying to push in on uh, English. And it affect the way we we said things yeah. and the words we use. I suppose, yeah. That so that that does make sense. Uh, what else? Anything else in this in this sonnet jump out at you at all? I, I just I, I I'm I'm wondering if the um, the first line that muse if that is a personification. It might be the one I have, but as one I uh, I'm looking at as a capital M. Yeah, same same here. So is it not with me as with that muse? So I wonder if he's referring to a specific person. Well, the muses in in Greek mythology were there were they were actual. Um, yeah, there was nine hmm. of them. Is that right? Or oh, I'm missing my I, Greek uh... ancient Greek. But 
I, and and what there was one muse of poetry. Um, so maybe yeah. it's a reference to I, that yeah. specific muse. I do know my my one piece of random knowledge about the muses is I know one of them pissed off Zeus, which is not something you should have done. Um, yeah, and, but then the, quite quite a lot of uh, gods and semi gods pissed off Zeus. That's that's how yeah. most of their stories started. That's true. They were so and so pissed off Zeus, but um, all all of the muses had eternal life and eternal youth, and and one of them pissed off Zeus somehow, um, and so he took away their eternal youth, but let them keep their eternal life, which I thought was was that's, a lovely. That's evil. Yeah, I don't know if that's true. I I hope it is because it's it's a nice bit of knowledge I've got. Calliope. Calliope apparently is the um... oh there's, there's a few that's epic poetry and then we have Euterpe <laughs> which is flutes and lyrical poetry wow and then we have Thalia which is comedy and pastoral poetry is there a, is there one of oh, rap uh, Arato which is love poetry which is probably the uh, the closest and Polyhymnia which is sacred poetry they, they really love their poetry, the Greeks do. <laughs> they, they did. It obviously was a very well-looked-upon pastime. Well, they didn't really have uh, reality TV shows, so... <laughs> That's true. Everyone was, was eager and sat around the campfire waiting for the latest sonnet to be released. Oh, I have a feeling they did have bat ones at the time as well. That's just what, that's what happens. <laughs> but I think, I think in, in ancient Greek times, the... The, the stories of the gods were like their reality TV. They, they seem probably, very written yeah, yeah. in that kind of... It, it, I, I don't know if this is going to have some people screaming, but if you read even, even Norse mythology and Greek mythology and Roman mythology, it seems to follow the same patterns that modern-day soap operas follow, which is like picking up on important issues of the time and then the, the, the gods would... would act out certain resolutions and there'd always be a, a lesson learned at the end and it's very much the same formula that soaps follow um, well they had the whole I mean, quite a lot of them start with love as well or jealousy and I mean we had yes. Troy well that actually happened but the, 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 the Trojan War that, that was just I mean there's legends and myths surrounding it but that was basically jealousy and love yes and, and, and then jealousy love and death Exactly. Everything leads to death in the end. Um, let, let's bring it back. <laughs> that's to that's very cheery for her. Well, yes. we, we, we should say we are recording this on uh, the twenty first, so this is the end of the world. You may nev uh, yes. never ever get to hear these. Uh, these I'm very, everyone, everyone this morning, because I'm going to go off on them now. Everyone this morning was saying eleven minutes past eleven. Where did that come into it? That seems a very I, modern. I don't know. I mean, because I'm quite into all my my uh, occulty stuff, and I've never heard the eleven minutes past eleven interpretation of this before. That seems to have randomly appeared today. I, I think people are just look. I mean, what was the, the last one? Was supposed to be September eighteenth, sixteen something, sixteen twenty four, sixteen eighteen, when the okay. Mayan calendar, the, the last period on the, their uh, Mesoamerican calendar ended. I was just wondering if uh, they had the same sort of panic back then. Well, panic back then. <laughs> Probably. Pro I don't know. Would it have been as pervasive through the culture? I mean, that's the, Probably the one. Well, that's what... Basically, the point in the end, it's just, it's just saying the world is going to end on the 31st of December because there's no sheet on the uh, calendar left to turn over to. Yeah, it and... Just... and what... 
there's um i think is it the end of this year or the end of the next year is when the original animal crossing calendar on on the old nes finishes so that must mean something mm. I, I, I it's just yeah we we humans like attributing value and and meaning to things which are quite frankly meaningless and ah this is we're having a very cheerful sonnet this it's, is uh... Merry Christmas, Mark. <laughs> yes, Merry Christmas. And this sonnet is, is actually meant to be quite... I don't know. It, it feels like it should be quite upbeat, but it, it doesn't seem to have read it. Maybe it's because it, it, it's not as colourful as some of his other sonnets. It doesn't, to me, give me the the happy feeling that I think Shakespeare was intended. It just... As I, I said it before, it, it's just too much to... I mean, yes, it's upbeat, but... It's like, it's like, oh, let me true in love, but truly right, and then believe me. It just... It's like... Oh, I don't know. He, he sounds like a drunk guy walking down the street going, I love you. <laughs> that's, that's... The, the drunk sonnets. <laughs> I can... Yeah, and the last two lines... I, I quite like the last two lines. Um, let them say more. Let like of hearsay well. I will not praise that purpose not to sell. The idea that... that I'm not going to sell you, so I'm not going to, you know, big you up. Because that's the only time you should ever really yeah. compliment something, is if you're going to sell it. And then when you put that in the context that this is a love poem, it just takes on, again, that seedy quality that, that seems to be in all of these sonnets, is there's this seedy creepiness through it. I, I don't know. I, I, I might have to do some actual research into proper Shakespeare scholars to see if anyone else is reading all this creepy seediness into it, or whether it's just my mind. It might just be my mind. In a way, though, he is trying to sell. Yeah, I suppose. Yes. Yeah. Sell this, this, this fair youth to a wife. Yeah. To a... I suppose that's what. Whatever. You, every every time you are in love, you try to do that. You you, tr- you try to sell the person to your friends, but consciously or unconsciously, and you you sort of try to sell it to yourself as well. Yeah, yeah. I suppose the, the creepiness of this factor comes in is that this isn't Shakespeare's lover. Yeah, this, this... yeah. This is basically another guy. Yeah. Well, it, it might. It... We, as we we said before, he, he, who knows what's going on when he puts down the pen? Yes, that's true. Do you think it could be as simple as, as Shakespeare was the ultimate wingman? Right. <laughs> go. They would. They would go out chasing around the bars. Shakespeare is the original author of the Bro Code. Yeah. <laughs> Shakespeare's brocode. The, I can see Shakespeare cruising around the bar with his fair youth and just going up to all the women and just dropping to a knee and reading a sonnet trying to get this woman to sleep with this man. And then the it, woman it, goes home with him. Yes. Yes. And yeah, the, the worst wingman in the world is Shakespeare. <laughs> well, I think we've come to a conclusion <laughs> now. Um, do you want to read out this poem? I, I don't know how long we've been recording for, but that, that sounds... Uh, in my head. 15 minutes. I don't yeah. know. I, I started recording a bit earlier, but yeah. You, I will let you read and then we will we will we um, we can go on to the next one. Sonnet 21. So is it not with me with... Wow. <laughs> I didn't even get across the first line. The first line is re- there's so many that's... little words that are that in the just... wrong order yeah. for modern English, and I think that's the problem with uh, a lot of this poem actually suffers from that. The words are in a different order than you would expect. They were probably at the, in the wrong order for the time as well. It's <laughs> trying to get the rhythm and the rhymes in. Sonnet twenty one. So is it not with me as with that muse 
stirred by a painted beauty to his verse, who heaven itself for ornament doth use, and every fair with his fair doth rehearse, making a compliment of proud compare, with sun and moon, with earth and sea's rich gems, with April's first-born flowers and all things rare, that heaven's air in this huge rondure hems. Oh, let me truly love, but truly write, and then believe me, my love is as fair as any mother's child, though not so bright as those gold candles fixed in heaven's air. Let them say more that like hit the Just these words in the order again. Oh, it, this, let them say more that like of here say well, I will not pray. The... <laughs> <laughs> This poem is brought to you by Terry Slith. <laughs> Let them say more that like of hearsay well, I will not praise that purpose not to sell. Uh, oh God, that was a tough one. <laughs> it, I, it was, oh, these four, we record them in fours. These four are all tough. Um, that was Sonnet 21 from Shakespeare's Sonnets. Uh, thank you for joining us again. I've been Mark Chatterley. I have been Terry Halers. And we will see you again next time for Sonnet 22, and hopefully that'll be easier to read. Goodbye. <laughs> Bye. You've been listening to Shakespeare's Sonnets with Mark Chatterley and Thierry Hellis. This has been an In-Ear Entertainment podcast. To listen to other podcasts or find out more about In-Ear Entertainment, go to www.inearentertainment.com